Welcome to the Wheelhouse Podcast. I got Andrew on the other line here. Andrew, what's up, buddy? Um, I, I'm, I'm not thinking about a, a wheelhouse right now. I'm thinking about a Ferris wheel that's going out of control because that's kind of how I feel right now, watching some of the stuff that's going on in the league. Yeah, I kind of feel like this Ferris wheel is going exactly where my fiance's uh, complaints are going. Straight to the trash. Um, <laughs> Andrew... Uh, we're going to forego our normal uh, introduction of what we learned last week. And uh, and I just want to upfront apologize to the listeners. You might hear a little bit of feedback. We uh, we had some uh, technical difficulties in this recording here. So our apologies. I don't think it's going to bleed through too much. But um, Andrew, let me set the scene here for you. The Colts have a terrible loss to the Patriots on Sunday. And uh, Frank Wright was... Fired yesterday, Monday. We're recording this Tuesday night, uh, November 8th. So not a Monday night, sorry. Monday morning, uh, uh, Reich is fired, and uh, which makes sense. They're not playing well. The team isn't responding clearly. You can tell once they went to Sam Ellinger, it, just, it really went downhill. But uh, Frank Reich is fired, and I believe I texted you. I don't remember at what time. But we learned that Jeff Saturday, who has been on ESPN since he retired, basically, uh, from the NFL, has been tapped to be the new head coach, interim head coach for the Colts. Uh, Andrew, Jeff Saturday has no head coaching experience on the college or NFL level. Um, What's your reaction? Let's just start there. Well, I like that we got a Saturday on a Monday. That's, you know, a really nice gesture from <laughs> Mr. Ursay. That's I, 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 for one, appreciate for getting more holidays on, on weekdays would be absolutely wonderful. Now, I look, I, I understand that in the NFL, there is whether they want to admit to it or not, there is certain levels of nepotism that permeate throughout the NFL. There are people who get things because they have certain connections to certain individuals for certain reasons. I think that's been pretty well established. Now, as far as Mr. Saturday goes, obviously having been with the Colts, the Colts for an extended period of time, it does kind of reek of, of certain levels of favoritism. But what gets me is kind of the methodology or at least the ideas that Ursay had for making this move. And if, it, if it's all right, I want to pull up one of his quotes that he had sure. in his, his, his uh, very illustrious press conference when introducing Mr. Saturday as the new head coach. So he said in, in this press conference, basically, in regards to the experience or lack thereof of Jeff Saturday, he pointed this out. And he threw this, this just masterful wordsmith out in the in for all the entire world to see he goes quote i'm glad he doesn't have any nfl experience i'm glad he hasn't learned the fear that's in this league because it's tough for all of our coaches they're afraid they go to analytics and it gets difficult i mean he doesn't have all that he doesn't have that fear i am mesmerized by that quote because to me it's it's the most get off my lawn quote i've heard this entire season in regards to anything and look i know you don't are i don't have a lot of fond feelings towards analytics in general and a lot of people don't i get it i've been sort of coming to terms with it myself this season but 
to basically throw your pretty much your entire regime that you just sent out of the building under the bus because they listen too much to analytics or have because of fear is to me just an absolutely preposterous stance to take. I, I, I find that so like, I find that to just be the zig because everyone's zagging that I've not really seen in a while from an owner as far as why they decided to put someone in a position of power. And I just find that so out of touch with what's going on now, maybe not out of touch with, with like what's going on as far as hiring practices goes, but just out of touch in terms of like, why in the world would we choose this person? It just kind of baffled me. Okay. So let me just respond to that quote. Cause that quote did stand out. And uh, here's my response. What the fuck are you talking about, man? You're the one that wanted the <laughs> analytics. Why do you think he's afraid? It's, you know, none of these head coaches, I, I would venture to guess most of these head coaches, especially a guy of Frank Wright's age and experience in the NFL, they don't fucking care about these analytics. They have to do it because their boss, a.k.a. the owner or and or the GM, want them to fucking use that shit. Yeah. Like... No, he, I'm just kind of like, when I heard them, like, you wanted this. This is what you, this is what these fucking owners want. And you're going to tell him he's afraid and he's going to turn to that. No, you made him turn to that. The the problem with Frank Wright, and I sent you a piece by um, Michael Lombardi, uh, who wrote on VEASAN. We'll, We'll discuss some of these ideas in a minute here. But one thing he laid out really, really well is, the problem with Frank Reich was not – I don't think he's a bad coach at all. In fact, I, I think he needs to go back to maybe being an offensive coordinator or maybe try be a head coach in college ranks. I don't know. I don't think he's a poor head coach. He had a winning record despite having five different quarterbacks in the time he was there. The problem that Frank Wright had was he wore out his cachet there. You wanted Phillip Rivers – it was a year too late. You want a Carson Wentz? That was a flop, right? And now you had Matt Ryan. I'm not clear on who really wanted Matt Ryan, but that didn't work out either, you know, for many reasons. I think some of it is not Matt Ryan's fault. Some of it is. But it hasn't worked out, and I feel like he wore out his cachet. But to say that he was afraid, well, yeah, he's afraid because you're going to fucking fire him, and you put in Sam Ellinger. So... I think the things that go against Frank Wright is he wore out his cachet. He wasn't able to develop uh, another quarterback, but I would say that's more of the organization, not so much him. They drafted Sam Ellinger. He's the only real quarterback that they drafted that had any kind of potential possibly. Uh, I understand the firing, Andrew. I don't understand this Jeff Saturday decision. So before we talk about Jeff Saturday, I do want to, circle back to the press conference and ask before we go to, to Jeff Saturday, anything else you take away from that press conference? And did you see it live? I did not see it live. Uh, I saw it after the fact, but to me, I, I feel like there's two different kind of, there's two different objectives that are going here. I feel like for Jeff Saturday, First of all, I think he's bewildered that he got this job, not because he doesn't believe in himself, but the fact that it was offered to him. Right. He has the ability to do this kind of thing. I think he believes that he has a chance to do something with it. 
I don't know if the Colts necessarily believe that as far as like what their, you know, placeholder is for the rest of the season. To me, look, I don't care what Ursay says or what people say around the league. I find this to be a tank job. Personally, I think this is the Colts raising their white flag and saying, screw it. We're going to just go ahead and find a way to draft a QB high next next year. But, because, but what, what other, like, why would you put in, I, well, that's just the thing, like, why would you put Jeff Saturday in this position if you truly believe that you're going to get the most wins out of your team right now? Is so, this again, this is, Je- this, this again is Jim Mercy contradicting himself, okay? Okay, you're, you're saying that you wouldn't, he literally said, I dare you to bet against Jeff Saturday, okay? Which, look, I can appreciate the confidence, but if you're really trying to do a tank job, why are you bringing this guy in to fail, but you you're, you handpicked him? So, like, don't you want him to succeed at the same time? Isn't the move, like, if you really wanted Jeff Saturday, right? Which, fine. If you really want Jeff Saturday, fine. Isn't the move just to make Gus Bradley your interim head coach, okay? He already has a record of being a bad head coach, okay? You should try to lose at this point. You need to draft a quarterback. Just let Gus Bradley do it. He's a lame duck as it is, right? Let him do what he does. You're going to have a high draft pick. And then bring in Jeff Saturday later. I, I, I don't want this to turn into a conversation about the Rooney rule because we know it's already broken, right? We know this from the Brian Flores thing. I don't know what more evidence you need. I think you and I at the beginning of the season had a pretty – serious discussion about this and usually I try to stay away from this kind of stuff on the podcast but clearly that's a broken system right if Jim Irsay wants to hire Jeff Saturday he'll hire Jeff Saturday right the problem here is why are you putting Jeff in this position to come in the staff you know you're going to have people on the staff that are going to resent him and I can totally respect why you're going to have players that are going to resent this guy right and Jeff might who knows? He might end up being a good coach, right? He seems like he has a lot of leadership qualities, which is something that actually he's sorely lacking in head coaching, you know, hires these days. And we'll get into this also in a bit here. But to put him in this position where he's the interim guy, he's never at the call of play. They basically are having a, 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 a game coordinator control analyst call plays this weekend yeah. against the Raiders. I mean, it just makes no sense. And and I want to go back before you respond to Andrew and move it forward. I watched this press conference live because I had to see it with my own eyes. It's hard to fathom. Last week, I saw Jeff Saturday on ESPN giving, you know, pretty milquetoast analysis at times, you know. Fine, yeah. fine person on TV, whatever. Not why I tune in to ESPN, right? And then all of a sudden he's the head coach and I got to sit and watch Jim Ursay, the head coach Ballard and, J- and Jeff Saturday sit up there. And I got to tell you, Ursay was fucking unhinged. If you watch that thing live, the first few, I, and, I'm, and I say, I don't say that as to be a dick or to make fun of him. No, he, he seems unhinged. Oh, I mean, the man, the-, <laughs> the man seems unhinged. And like the first, I want to say 10 minutes, there was an, um, every other word. Like he was flying by the seat of his pants. Uh, I, it was very awkward. Mm-hmm. Chris Ballard, look, he's he's been a shitty GM this year. Okay, he he's in the basement as far as GMs. He's done a terrible job putting the team together. The, this is not all Frank Wright's fault, but he clearly had nothing to do with this choice. 
if you sit and watch this guy and his body language, he did not want to be there. He looked like he just threw up in the toilet, and he probably knew he had to suck it up and agree with it because otherwise his ass is fired too. Yeah. Okay. He, he is also on the hook here. So I will say this. I thought Jeff Saturday handled himself very well. Uh, he sounded like a guy that, that was coming into the situation with, you know, the right attitude. He understood what he had to deal with. And I guess, you know, all that time in the media probably helps prepare you for that. But he seems like a good personality fit to possibly be a head coach. But this is a shitty situation he's been thrown into. And that press conference, I mean, I I think most of America probably hasn't seen Jenner, hasn't seen Jim Mercy, or at least a younger generation of fans probably haven't. But you and I know Jim Mercy pretty well, and we know his father pretty well. This guy, I thought, when the stuff when the stuff with Snyder came out, like he was being all crazy, and we just thought that was Jim being Jim. No, this fucker is unhinged. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's had he's had multiple on off the field. Uh, issues that have been well documented which i don't need to get into at this point but he's he's never been seen to be a exactly a stable individual uh for one reason or another um look i i i can just feel just by reading the quotes and hearing them reread back to me like i was i i was almost laughing in my car hearing some of these things read to me i didn't see it live and i could already tell it was worse in person it sounds like it. <laughs> it, it it's kind of like, I know this is like high school history class. So like when Kennedy and Nixon had the first presidential TV debate, you know, people read the debate in the paper and thought Nixon won, right? But people who watched it thought that Kennedy won the debate, right? Like those quotes are terrible on paper. I'm telling you, if you watch the thing, the dude is unhinged in like the worst way. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's bizarre. And it's, it's also just bizarre in that, like, I mean, look, I'm happy for Jeff. I'm glad he gets a chance. I've always liked, I liked him a lot when he was a player. Oh yeah. Uh, I think he was, he was exceptional. He, I don't think he'll ever be a hall of famer, but he's definitely in the hall of very, very good. I really liked him as a, as a, as a center. Yeah. And obviously dealing with Peyton is no easy task, but he was always very, very proficient despite being undersized as a center and did a lot of great things with the Colts. But yeah, going back to kind of some of the things about like the coaching staff, I mean, not only do you have a guy like Gus Bradley, you also have John Fox on your roster. Right. Yep. That's coached two different teams at different iteration. No, sorry, three different teams. Excuse me. Gone three to two Super Bowls. Teams. Right. And he's been around for, for a yeah. hot minute. Right. You have people, you have, you know, Scott Milanovich, who probably could actually be calling plays, in my opinion. And instead, you're giving you're giving your duties over to a guy who is 30 years old, has no experience with calling plays whatsoever, in Parks Frazier. I, I like I don't know. Like it's almost like I don't understand the methodology. I understand at the same time, but it just seems it it seems like somebody scribbling these notes on a napkin. Like it feels almost serial killer ish, if that makes sense. Like it feels just bizarre. Reading some, of, some yeah. of these, these like some of these things that are being relayed to us, and yeah, you're right. Like it, it's it feels so fly by night. I mean, 
even like I mean, you knew things were up when when uh, Reich was going with Sam Ellinger to save their season. Like that just felt like such a desperation pull. But I feel like he he knew his time was coming, and he just felt like he had to do something. I yeah. don't know if Matt Ryan would have played better. I think Matt Ryan was you know is who he is at this point. But it would have been I, I feel like it would have been better with whatever the hell we saw last Sunday against the Patriots. You know that was that was that, that was just such a a just a self detonation of the entire Colts offense. Yeah, I want to get into this Lombardi piece that I sent you offline earlier today, and there's a pretty good quote in there, and I'll just read it back to you. and And I and I know you had a you formulated I think some pretty cogent ideas in your head before sharing them with me on the podcast. So I'll read you this quote. For me, the bigger issue is the lack of respect Ursay is showing the head coaching position. In the past few years, we have witnessed organizations minimizing the position, hiring coordinators and calling them head coaches. The NFL once held head coaches in high esteem, believe, believing they could lead all three phases of the game. Not anymore. And now with this move, the league continues to move further away from the motto of Chuck Knoll, Bill Walsh, Don Shula, Bill Belichick, and Pete Carroll, and into more a more collaborative one. What do you think about this idea, and how do you kind of how do you kind of pull back these layers? Yeah, I, I think I, I think this has been a long-standing issue as far as people who don't seem to have any kind of like ex- outstensive control. It's like it's almost like we're sort of outsourcing our labor to other people as far as what we need to do in terms of managing a team. And he's I think he has I think he has a point in that there are a lot of people who are just seen as excelling at one port part as far as like, you know, being a play caller or being able to manage a certain position group, but then not actually being able to manage a team like that's that's really tough. And it's hard to really measure those people. I mean, I was the one that said, I think over a month ago that I would like to have a wonderlick test for coaching for like yeah. coaching efficiency, because I think it's really, it is a lacking issue. I really do. I, and look, some guys need to learn it. Okay. Like some people may have to learn it on the job as they go along or be fired along the way. Like say what you want about someone like, for example, Brandon Staley, I think he's trying to figure it out. He just may not be able to have all the answers. I can see he's trying to figure it out, but he's, his brain's exploding simultaneously trying to deal with all the things on his team. And he may, he may end up not being cut out for the job, at least damn it. If he isn't at least trying to figure it out, but with um, some guys, it just doesn't seem like that's something that's ever going to click. Like, I don't think that's going to click for Cliff Kingsbury. I don't think that's going to click for, Zach Taylor, guys who are, you know, premium play callers, but don't actually really see what's going on in front of them. Like guys, guys like Pete Carroll and Mike Frabel are few and far between. Those are individuals that seem to have an, you know, an ostensible sense of what is going on beyond everything else. As far as like managing their team, managing expectations, managing game plans from week to week. And yeah, it's, it is a problem. And I think it's not just analytics. I think it's just people who don't want to have to deal with those kind of individuals. I don't think owners like to deal with individuals like that. Cause it, I don't look, it's almost like the thing with Jerry and Jimmy Johnson. It's like, you almost get jealous. Like you almost, you don't get the credit. And then when you don't get the credit, then you suddenly become a non-factor in the ownership of your team. I think I really sometimes think it's an ego not just with coaches in terms of like running their team. I think it's ego with ownership too, because they all of a sudden are like, wait a minute, 
I'm the one that puts all the capital in this team. I'm the one that has all the all the financial assets. Why am I not getting the credit? Why is this guy getting you know the parades and the and the accolades and all that? You know, and some I really think some owners are green with envy. I think you're hitting on something that that piece is actually missing. I think it's the ownership has changed. Mm-hmm. So when I first started watching football in 2000, it's still a lot of old money in the NFL right now, but you have a lot more new money. Yeah. And I feel like you back then coming out of the 20th century, a lot of the owners back then, they were just kind of in the shadow and like they basically just kind of got out of the way. Right. They let the the head coach or the GM and a lot of times the head coach back then was the GM too. You kind of just let them run the show. Right. And that was it. The owner kind of was coincidental in a lot of, you know, in a lot of ways. Um, That did change with Jerry Jones, I think, significantly. It did change with Jerry Jones. Um, He wanted, he was the first one that came in and said, and and I'm going to GM the team, right? Now, a lot of, he's the only owner that really does that, right? But at the same time, that was the beginning of that. And you have, I think a lot of different organizations like this. Green Bay, you have Mark Murphy. This guy thinks he's going to go to the Hall of Fame and he's fucking dog shit, okay? You had the Texans. You and I last year just killed Jack Easterby and he was quietly fired this season. I'm not sure if that was barely even a story. Yeah. But Jack Easterby, he, he was a minister. He was really a motivational coach and somehow became a GM. And a big reason for why DeAndre Hopkins ended up you know, leaving the Texans, why Deshaun Watson wanted to leave before all of his issues came up. But yeah, I think there's a point to the head football coach used to be the guy that ran the operation. Everything came through him and he only answered to one man, right? I was watching something before you and I came on the show and it was, I just had YouTube on random in the background and it's a 49ers team of the 80s. And a lot of it's about Bill Walsh, right? And Bill Walsh, the whole program ran through Bill Walsh, right? The players, the coaches, you know, the whole thing ran through him. Nothing was subcontracted out. You're getting to this point of like, you know, uh, I forget the word that you use, but I'll use subcontractor, right? The whole, everything was Bill's system, okay? Bill's players, Bill's evaluation of players, you know, he was the guy in charge of all phases of the team. And I think another wrinkle to this is probably, and it's not, I'm not blaming this person because this person is a very good coach, McVay. McVay gets this job with the Rams a couple years ago. Great offensive coordinator. He does have some team, I think, leadership skills and all that stuff. He's won a Super Bowl, lost one. Clearly, there's, you know, clearly he's a very good coach, but he subcontracted out his defense to. To Wade Phillips, if you recall, which was very successful. But I think we're starting to see everyone grab this thing and run with it. Get this like, you know, this guru to call that like, can call plays, but has no clue about managing a game, managing a defense, even managing special teams. I mean, this is something that is really leaking out with the Packers, too. They hire Rich Basaccia, who is a good special teams coach, but they have no players that know how to do it. it the stuff takes time. There's just no cohesiveness there, right? And we'll talk about the Packers in a bit. 
But I think this piece really hits on this fundamental issue that's wrong in the NFL. And if you look at the teams, and we'll go through our lines in a bit here, if you look at the teams that have the most success, it's the older coaches and the coaches that have been through the ringer of, you know, coaching different position groups, coaching at different levels, and are the teams that are managing their teams the best in game. Those are the teams that are at the top right now. Yeah. No, I mean, that's it's it's trust to the coach and it's trust to the program. But I mean, we we were very skeptical of Carroll and his proceedings last year, obviously, and thought maybe this is starting to go off the rails and it might be time for a change. Well, uh, that has not been the case. Right. Obviously, him and John Snyder have worked together to put <laughs> kind of put the money where their mouth is and have it completely reversed on everybody. So those guys were right. Yeah, they were. Those, those guys were right about Russell Wilson. We were all wrong. Yeah. Those are the were. only two guys that were right. Yeah. Which yeah. is crazy. And, and we should have known better. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess, well, you know, I mean, because Russ was spectacular. He worked well. You yeah, know? He, no doubt. He was, he was quite good. And, you know. I, I, I still wouldn't change my mind going back before the season and be like, Geno Smith, really? Drew Locke, no doubt. Really? Yeah, like, no doubt. This offense can't do anything. Why are you kidding me? Like, I, I don't regret that feeling at all. It was justified. We thought it was going to be Drew Locke. <laughs> I thought this team was going to win four games, Max. Right. I mean, yeah. And here we are. And then here we have our NFC West division leaders. Yeah, the Seahawks are going to make the playoffs. They're going to make yeah. the playoffs. I don't, I, we're going to talk about them too again, you know, but they're going to, they're going to go to the playoffs and there's no one that thought that except for Pete Carroll and John Schneider. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> just, just so, just so interesting. And, and I just, I mean, look, I have to credit them for rebuilding the roster so quickly. I even, I even drew, they drew the ire of me on the second round when they, picked Kenneth Walker. I'm like, how many more running backs do you guys need? Do we need six of them? Do we need, do we just, why, why don't we just like, where don't we just go ahead and trade our receivers too? Like, we'll just have six running backs. Let's do that. Huh? Pete. And I was wrong. Obviously that it's worked out spectacularly. Kenneth Walker is a rookie of the year candidate. Yeah. It's on the offensive side. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about them because they, they deserve the, all the victory laps in this pod and, and John Snyder too. I mean, he may. I mean, if there's a GM of the year award, it's probably him because look yeah. at that defense. And we'll. I'm getting ahead of ourselves here, but there's just so much to praise there. Uh, before we before we move on to awards, Andrew, anything else you want to you want to say about this Jeff Saturday situation and any anything you want to add or wrap up or give thoughts on Jeff Saturday? Um, I I just feel like Saturday is walking out to get you know the pastures walking out to get slaughtered. Like that's how I feel about it with him. And I feel so bad, but maybe he understands that too. Like maybe he knows this isn't a long-term proposition and it's just kind of like, a, let's see how, I think he was well aware of that proposition as well. But I, I just, I don't know how I'm going to be able to watch cold games the rest of the year. No, absolutely not. It's toughest beat of the week. And there was many tough beats this week. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Andrew, let's move on to the awards and let's go ahead and start with Joe Harris. And uh, if you don't know this name by now, you sure did after Sunday. Quentin Williams tackle for the Jets. Clearly, I know a lot of people like Sauce Gardner and there's a lot of reason to. 
this is the guy that makes the engine go for the Jets. He was putting incredible pressure on Josh Allen and that whole team and especially Williams, you know, I've complained for years about the Raiders' lack of ability to tackle in space. This team can fucking tackle in space like none other. Uh, and Williams, you know, he had a sack on on Allen, created lots of pressure. He was the focal point on the defensive line. This guy is, I don't know, he might be one of the 10 best players in the NFL. At least that's kind of like my hot take after coming out of that, out of that weekend. It, it, the guy is incredible. I'm glad to see him finally arrive. He, I'm, I distinctly remember him at Alabama, and I distinctly also remember him in that championship game against Clemson, the one that Trevor Lawrence and company kind of wrong over Alabama, but he was the one guy making plays the entire time. He kept bursting through the line and trying to keep any sort of run game happening for Clemson. But he's like, I'm glad that he's finally getting his due. He's looked amazing in this, in this scheme. He's also blocked a field goal, which he did against the Packers. I've really always loved his skill set. him and sauce. I mean, sauce Gardner, by the way, we need to talk about it as well. Sauce. Yep. Sauce is like entering upper epsilon territory of cornerbacks in the NFL. He's a rookie. I have to keep reminding myself that, but he is just absolutely balling out in every game he's played this season. Yeah. He's been outstanding. He's easily going to run away with defensive rookie of the year. Like he's going to sprint away with it at this point. I, I know Tariq Wollin has some arguments for that too, but sauce is just, yeah. no, nah, don't throw it over there. That's, that's the game plan. Don't throw yeah. it over there. He'll, I mean, he'll make you pay. Yeah. He'll make you pay. And you know, it's kind of, it reminds me a little bit of Diggs last year. Diggs had all those interceptions, but this guy can fucking cover. I mean, yeah. he just eats up the other guy. I wouldn't say shut down corner quite yet, but getting there and he has the turnovers to go with it and he makes it, he makes it hurt. Uh, yeah, don't throw over there. That's my game plan. <laughs> they finally found their Revis replacement. It's absolutely wild. Yeah, uh, and this guy is long. Like, yeah. He is long. He is athletic. He is a big, you know, human being, all of that. I mean, it's kind of like the evolution of the whole position, you know. <laughs> it's like the stretch four, <laughs> except playing quarterback. <laughs> so, yeah, I and mean, this guy, yeah, don't throw over there. All right, Mike Glennon Award, and thank you for uh, for giving me the name earlier, Andrew. Richard Rogers, tight end for the Chargers. Didn't even know he was still in the league, but here he is. You know how much of a Mike Lennon award this is? I didn't even know he was on my own team. <laughs> like, I, I, I completely spaced. And there I am sitting there on Sunday with basically Herbert throwing the desk chairs at this point. And here comes Richard Rodgers. He didn't make a catch. He did get targeted once. And I thought, oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot he's on the roster. But, I mean, look, if you're a receiver or a tight end in this league, you probably have a good chance to make the Chargers roster at some point because the injuries have just been piling up this whole season. If you... I basically sent out a group text on, I think it was Friday. It's one of my writer groups. And I said, like, don't come to my team unless you want to go to the hospital. And it's been, it's been a rough going this whole season. So uh, congratulations on Richard Rogers getting an appearance in there. Uh, I don't know if he'll really do much on the team, but at least he's able to get some playing time because I mean, any receiver can at this point for this team. We don't have an award for gutsiest award, but we got to give it to your guy, Herbert. Look, there was some, I don't know if you, you probably heard them because you're a Charger fan, but there was a lot of whispers that mm, Herbert's getting a little too much love. No one's criticizing him. You know, 
No, 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 no. I, and look, this is my rival. No, the, the guy is gutsy. There's one reason why this team is six and four. That guy. That is yeah. the only reason. Otherwise, your team would be in the basement with the Raiders. Easily. No, I, mean, I, I, I he is carrying. He he is the guy that can carry your team. It's just sad to see that it it may not lead to much playoff success. But look, there's there's no doubt in my mind. He is, he is all the hype. Okay, this guy is tough as nails. Uh, look, he he is. I, I call him the cliff watcher. Because, look, a lot of people, reasonably so, myself included, are just basically done with this team from week in and week out and have been so for basically my entire life as a fan. And he's that one guy. Like, look, I, I know you have – we've talked a lot about that playoff game against – or not playoff game, but the game to get in the playoffs that the Raiders and the Chargers played last season. Look, the Chargers were out of that game. It was over. There was no reason to be in that game. He single-handedly pulled them back into that game. And he's done yeah. so on multiple occasions. There's absolutely no reason. Like going to this game, I'm thinking like, all right, who's going to get the majority of the targets in this game? Who's going to really factor into the offense? And, you know, he's still got guys dropping balls. He's got Josh Palmer having the ball hit off his hands and turning into an interception. You know, the the thing that, that was amazing, I'm not sure if you saw the double fumble that happened. I did. Or, <laughs> yeah. So Eckler fumbles the ball, which is just killer for him. And he fumbles the ball. And then the, the the defensive lineman for the Falcons is running down the sideline, and Herbert's about ready to tackle him, and the guy just drops the ball. Like, he's just like, oh, my God, this 6'6 guy is about to tackle me. And then he just drops the ball, and they get it back. Like, I can't believe the things he does, especially with this rib cartilage injury he's had. I mean, he is tough as nails. I, I am so enamored by him just put his body out there every single week. I, I, feel, I feel really bad for him because I don't think the offense – does him any favors. He has no healthy receivers. His line's banged up. He really just has no, gets no favors from anybody. Yeah. I wish I want, I so badly want him to be on a team that functions offensively. Cause my God, the things he could do if he did like, he yeah. really, just, he, he, he absolutely deserves it. And the league deserves it. But yeah, anyone who's saying he's, he's over his skis or he's overrated does not actually watch him. But he, uh, yeah, I, I don't want to hear these quiet, you know, campaigns start to bubble up here. All you need to do is watch that game against the Falcons that they should have lost, quite frankly. And the, the guy just carried them in, you know, carried them through. All right. This one, I mean, this one was decided the moment you texted it to me, Andrew. Cowboy Joe West, probably my favorite award now <laughs> every, every week in the pod. Let me break this down for you. Condoms and Vikings. Back judge Steve Patrick sees a receiver in double coverage headed his way and is also judging the trajectory of the pass, Andrew. So he doesn't relocate to the landing area. His escape route has unfortunately uh, gotten in the way of the defensive uh, back on the coverage zone. The Vikings should have had an interception instead. Condoms get a touchdown on the play. And uh, look, I put it in here mainly because it's fucking funny, you know. The zebras would screw this up, uh, but you know it's kind of it's again it kind of har harps back to this thing I've been complaining about all year. I don't like it when the condoms, not the condoms, the uh, the zebras decide decide games. Yeah, uh, I keep getting distracted by this line I wrote in here where I wrote, uh, "Bikes would have had an interception, but instead condoms off and a touchdown." 
<laughs> but uh, look, I, I don't like it when the zebras decide games, and uh, you know, I don't know if this would have decided the game, but uh, it well, it didn't. The Vikings won, but still, I mean, you know, yeah. it it shouldn't have been that close. I I likened it to basically like a deer running in front of your car and then so it damages your car and the deer dies like basically the, like the <laughs> no one wins no one wins yeah, like the, the 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 ref basically died on impact and just face planted <laughs> after that happened and took out the entire vikings defense it's just like who does this help here except for the, like obviously the commanders like i would we would have never heard the end of it from vikings fans if that ended up being the difference but oh yeah they came back and won but my god it just like real time i'm like i mean this is a folly of, of the highest degree. Like oh, yeah. it just, it, it really was. Um, it, yeah. It, it's just amazing that the zebras just basically are, are running into on, oncoming traffic now as, as if it's going out of style. So it's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. <sighs> well, Andrew on to the Anthony Linux press award train here. Um, if we ever, if we ever get picked up by some, podcasting network i have only one request andrew is when we do the awards and we do the anthony linux press i want the thomas the train song right as as we're giving the award out that's all yeah. I, that's all i could ask for well, we, got, we got to get the copyright on that but yeah, yeah we got to get the copyright on that and uh you know josh mcdaniels he was on board the thomas the train engine this weekend you're up 17-0 against the jags you should be able to put these fucking guys away, and you can't. You have no, you have no plan to adjust to anything that the other team does to adjust to you. And if this is the fourth, or third, or fourth time this has happened this season. You get up big and you let the other team back in, and you lose a game you should have won. It happened again, and. I said this to my dad. He says it's too soon. I don't fucking care. And it's probably because I'm despised fan. They got to, I think they got to fire McDaniels after the season. This is just ridiculous. I, it's fucking done. I don't think this guy can head coach. I mean, Carr is regressing. Yeah. And say what you will about Gruden. I, there was a lot of problems with Gruden on and off the field, right? But here's the thing Gruden did really, really well that I think is very underrated. He was a great game manager. He understood what team he had despite its limitations. I think he was a very good game manager. Number two, in every season that he had Derek Carr, Derek Carr's pass, you know, passing yards per attempt went up. It has gone down to the 2018, 2017 levels, Andrew. He is just, anytime pressure comes to Carr, he just gets rid of it as soon as as he can. You have lots of incompletions, lots of just, you know, dink and dunks that don't go anywhere versus last year. You know, his superpower was he would hang in there a little bit longer than he normally was comfortable with, and he would get the pass interference, right? That was kind of his superpower. Like, fuck it, somebody's down there. I'll get the pass interference at the least, right? And he would take the hit. He'd move around. He had a little bit more moxie, and that has just, that's gone this season completely gone and that I think goes back to coaching that's something McDaniels needs to correct as the leader of the team the defense is worse it wasn't great last year don't get me wrong but it's worse they don't generate any pressure the Chandler Jones trade ended up not working out 
Okay. I don't think it would have mattered because Ngakwe is not doing nothing either. On all phases, Andrew, this team is just failing. And I think that goes to McDaniels. Yeah. No, I, I, I find the lack of adjustments in the second half to be startling. And I mean, look, it's one thing to do that on the road against the Chiefs in the Monday Night Football. Like, that's just sorry, but like that was written on the walls. Like, this team's going to come back. Like, I just, I knew it from the outset. Like, that's just what the Chiefs do. But right. I mean, the cart. The Cardinals game and this one were just like bewildering to me for the fact that you have this guy like Josh Jacobs who's having an outstanding career. He's like, I mean, he knows he's in a contract year. And as an offensive play caller, maybe this is a little bit of armchair quarterbacking for me, but like I would think that they would try to implement more of like a two-back offense and sort of maybe just in some ways try to make it a little easier on Carr. If you're not going to be throwing it downfield, then at least try to, you know, grind the clock, kind of keep possession. If you're worried about your defense being on the field, then at least try to play play it to the point where you want to be able to control the clock and control the flow of the game, right? You know, and not put them out there so much. Because, I mean, they just got shredded in the second half. Like, they got hung out the dry. Because the offense, quite frankly, stopped doing things. Like, that. as much as I think the defense did play poorly, they also had no favors from the offense. I, I Absolutely, just, yeah. I don't really get – I just don't really get it. That's kind of – that's just – that part really kind of befuddles me. Uh, the other thing I wanted to point out, though, uh, as you were saying, like, obviously the cars regret, regressed for a little bit. Um, now, this is maybe a bit of a heinous thing to say, but do you think your team is going to start looking at options to maybe ship him? Oh, yeah, they should. Okay. Yeah, because I should. was starting to think about that, like, in the grand scheme of things. Look, this, and- guy, this guy has been in the league for nearly 10 years, Andrew, and he still gets frazzled by the pressure. I get it. You don't want to be hit. I, I I get all of that, right? I get all that. But I'll say this. Geno Smith, tough son of a bitch, okay? I know the guy in the past has made mistakes. He's done stuff. But this guy is executing the basically the Sean McVay offense, you know, better than Jared Goff ever did and maybe as good as Matthew Stafford did last year, okay? he And he sits in there and he takes pressure and he delivers the, fo- the football well. Derek Carr is nearly 10 years in, and he can't do this. And he's been the starter. He's comfortably had a starting job for basically his whole career. It's time to start looking if this guy can't suck it up. Uh, Yeah, I also just think he might need to change his scenery. I mean, he's – look, I'll say this. He's gone through a lot. I mean, he's gone through Jack Del Rio. He's gone through Gruden. He's gone through Basaccia. Now he's going through McDaniels. He's he's changed cities, right? Yeah. He's changed offenses. He's changed offensive personnel. He's gone through a lot of things in Oakland slash Las Vegas. And look, I at least admire his ability to kind of stay even keel. One of his greatest assets, I will say, is he stays steady in the face of a lot of bullshit. Like he's gone through a lot of bullshit in his tenure with that team. And I think his ability to deal with that has been pretty good. I think, yeah, as far as the pressure goes, it does get him like, I've heard my team talk about it. I've heard other teams talk about it. It's a thing. I just wonder if maybe a change of scenery for him would be best because I think he can yeah. start. I mean, there's a lot of other teams in the league who, quite frankly, would die to have him as a starter because I do. I do yeah. think he's a better option than a lot of other teams. Look, I think I, I think he may. It may just be maybe him and the team just don't fit anymore. Look, I like the guy. Last year, I told you this. I mean, print the shirts after Gruden was fired. There was one leader on the team. It was Carr, right? He rallied everybody. I was like, print the fucking shirts, right? 
I thought like, okay, look, this is the moment, you know? And he played out of his mind. Like the stats don't show it last year. He was playing out of his mind. He was doing a lot with very little, you know, with not all the weapons he has now. Okay. They do need to explore dealing him and he needs to, he needs to feel some pressure. I don't think he's really ever felt like his job was in danger. He needs to feel a little bit of that. You know, people forget, and I'm going to refer to this 49er thing I was watching before you and I came in the pod, and I realized that Derek Carr is not the person I'm about to mention. But you you got to remember, Joe Montana was almost traded after they won the Super Bowl and then the next year didn't make the playoffs. 49ers explored trading him for John Elway. Okay? You have to explore these things once in a while for better or for worse. I, I, you can't stand Pat. This guy has to change his play or it's time to move on. But they really have they really have to rebuild this team in the offseason. And look, this team had a lot of problems last year, and a lot of the problems are still there, you know, as far as the roster construction goes. But you have blue chip players. You have Max Crosby. You have Devontae Adams. You have you know, Josh Jacobs, you have these different players and Carr himself too, but he needs to, he needs to live up to the expectations here. You have a lot of great foundational pieces. You need to use them correctly and you have to coach them. So look, I think anything, nothing should be off the table this off season. Yeah, no, I agree. There needs to be a lot of shakeup here and I don't know, maybe look, maybe McDaniels ends up staying and they just end up getting a guy that more suits his system. Who knows? But they've got a lot of answers to look for. Look, easy solution might be to send Carr to New England for Mac Jones. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that one. I've also heard Jimmy G being on the table, but I don't know if that really is a guy that McDaniels will go after. No, I, I would take the Mac Jones thing. I think that's a, that's a player that is not in the right situation anymore. And yeah. I know McDaniels and Belichick both wanted Derek Carr um, over the past couple of years. So there's that. Let's uh, let's close out with uh, our favorite, our favorite football guy, Jeff Fisher, Andrew. And uh, I put in Matt LaFleur, but I, I give the floor to you if you want to talk about Matt LaFleur or you want to put in anybody else because there's lots of candidates this this weekend from this weekend. Oh, man, when aren't there candidates, right? <laughs> <laughs> It's it, honestly, it might be one of the hardest awards that we have week to week basis. Oh, it, it's hard. It is hard. There's a lot of lackluster shit out there. I got to look. I mean, there's a couple I got to put on Matt, Matt before. Obviously, I don't know. We thought he was going to learn his lesson after Buffalo and start running the ball in Detroit. No, we didn't do that. We let Aaron just throw three picks and just be happy with it. I. I also got to put in Sean McVay. I have no idea what the hell the Rams were doing down in Tampa. Uh, he should have just gone to Amazon. He I, fucked up. I can't. I cannot believe it. that's where maybe outsourcing should have happened because I have no <laughs> idea what they, were, what they were scheming as far as their offensive game planning, as far as taking out the clock, as far as letting Brady do whatever the hell he wanted in the fourth quarter. I, I it was appalling, honestly. And like, I know afterwards, I think either Romo or Nance said like, "Well, McVay looks stunned." I'm like, "What's there to be stunned about?" You just he just let this game slip through. Like that's his fault. Like he let this happen. I don't I have no idea what the hell the Rams are doing, and I don't know what their solutions are moving forward. They might be done. Oh, they're done. 
they're going to finish yep. with a losing season and miss the playoffs. McVay should have left when he had the chance. He, I mean, yeah. the, the problem with that team is, look, they won a Super Bowl, so say what you will about their moves in the offseason or, you know, in the past couple of years. Say what you will. They won a Super Bowl. It's kind of like the Lakers winning the bubble trophy. It doesn't matter what's happened now. The moves you made did win you a championship. That's all that matters. The problem yeah. is... The problem is all that stuff is starting to come full circle now. And look, even before the season started, there was reports that he thought about hanging it up. So did Aaron Donald. We've barely heard Aaron Donald's name this season. Yeah. Okay. A lot of these guys, I think, are checked out. You have a Super Bowl hangover. Look, we were complaining about Matthew Stafford last year. Nothing has changed with his style except that last year, I think, in the fourth quarter, he was able to, to turn it on long enough to make it happen, right? And he had Cooper Cup at the peak of his powers. He had OBJ doing his business. And and look, he's still out there. He's kind of like the Phantom Menace right now, you know? He's Darth mm -hmm. Maul. He's out there. He could change somebody's fortunes, I think, especially with the top-tier teams. But OBJ can't save this team. This team is fundamentally flawed in a lot of ways, which we don't have enough time to talk about. But, yeah. Maybe that's a better one than Matt LaFuck. I I think Matt LaFuck, it, it, I, I feel like the things that are happening this season are things I've been complaining about for a long time. It's just that you don't have Devontae Adams anymore and Aaron Rodgers doesn't have the support he once did, nor, you know, he's diminished, which is natural with age, right? But all the same flaws that I felt with LaFleur are still there. So, yeah. and you should have beaten the Lions team. They, it's not like they were trying to give the game away to the Packers. They tried their darndest with their poor decision making and, you know, game management. Dan Campbell, not a head coach. Like, sorry, not a head coach. And you still lost yeah. to the Lions. I, I think to Aaron's point, like, I quite frankly just don't think he's a fit on this team anymore. And I think the, I think the reasoning is that. I think all along he's wanted to have a situation like Brady where he can just get guys in and out of the building. Well, that's not how the Packers operate. The Packers operate on their own time clock and say, we're going to build our talent. We're going to do things methodically and we're not going to just sell the farm for anybody. Have they tried? Supposedly, yes. There are reports that they've tried to bring guys in, but like they're not going to go above market value to get guys. They're not going to push in all their chips, so to speak, like a lot of other teams because that's not how they operate. And if that's how they want to operate, that's fine. But guess what? That doesn't gel with somebody like Aaron Rodgers who wants guys now, you know? And I think that's kind of a big problem with it as well. I, I just think that if if Aaron's going to be able to do anything, I think he's going to just have to philosophically move on somewhere else. But n the problem is now is he's being paid a bajillion and a half dollars and no one's going to take that contract. So I wouldn't say he's untradeable. But it is difficult because that is a huge contract. Yeah. So, and look, I still think in a, in a different situation, it could be very interesting, but they're not doing shit if he just stays there. There's no way. All right, Andrew. NFL Week 10 lines, lines by betnow.eu. We got Bengals, Patriots, Jets, and Ravens on by. Let's start with the Chris Berman primetime block. Sunday, Vikings at Bills. Bills, five and a half, over under 45 and a half. What do you got? 
I was so ready to slam the Bills, but unfortunately, there appears to be a bit of a wrench in the works. Uh, Josh Allen's elbow is much to be discussed issue here, and because of that, I can't in good conscience take the Bills to cover immediately. Now, I still think they're going to win because the Vikings, and I think this Vikings team is it might be one of the most fraudulent seven, one teams. I don't care if their fans keep going. I don't care if their fans keep going on about it. I don't care what their excuses are. I don't care. I do not care. I will not care. And I don't think they're going to be that good on Sunday. I think they're lucky. They don't play in prime time. because otherwise Kirk would throw like five picks before halftime, but here's the deal. I think the bills are still going to end up winning this game. I hope Josh is okay. If he is okay, they're going to run a rough shot over this team because they are pissed about losing against the Jets. I mean, that's just a fact, but we have to monitor this Allen situation. I'm going to tentatively say that the Vikings cover, and I think the Bills still win, but I'm also going to take, uh, I'm going to take the over on this one. Yeah, I like the over as well. Let me ask you this. If Josh Allen starts, no matter, you know, obviously we're assuming the elbow injury isn't so bad that he can't start, but let's say he actually starts. You still would pick the Vikings to cover if the elbow is a little dinged up. I would say so. Yes. I think they're just going to be more conservative, but they're still demonstrably a better team. I'm going to go ahead and still take the bills for one reason. And one reason only Kirk cousins in prime time. <laughs> this is like one of the later games in Sunday. I guess it's not prime time, but. Kirk Cousins against these, like, you know, juggernaut teams, not great history. So I'll go ahead and take the pass. And like you said, this is the most fraudulent, like, one-loss team ever. I'll take the Bills in the over here. Uh, I don't really have much more to add other than that. I, just, I, I can't in good conscience pick the Vikings to, to cover or even maybe beat the Bills. If you look at their their win streak schedule here, it's been a, all against guys that are not going to make the playoffs, basically. With the exception, well, even the condoms are not going to make the, the playoffs, but, I mean, they're a pretty competitive team, right? Um, let's move on to the next one here. Sunday, speaking of the condoms, condoms at Eagles. Eagles 11, Andrew, over under 40. Who do you like here? We almost had an above 500 matchup here. Almost. I, I like, look, I like what... I like what the commanders are doing, man. I really do. I like Tyler Heineke's energy. They started chanting his name on Sunday. I'm not sure <laughs> that's our that. guy, that's man. Like, that's their guy, man. Like I don't. I think I think Wentz's ship has sailed. I I really like them as far as competitively, but this Eagles team is so good. And now look, they didn't cover last week. It was a it was a 14 margin. They won by 12, so they didn't cover last week. But 11 at home. I mean, this team is so talented. It's not even funny. Like they, they have all the tools in their box to deal with this commander's team. I definitely, I'm going to take them the cover and I'm going to take the over on this one. I, but I do think there's going to be some offensive fireworks on both sides in this game. Yeah. I, I think early on this will be competitive, but look, I, I got to stop downing the Eagles here. I, I like the Eagles and the over and do we got to keep riding the Eagles until they fuck up and they haven't. So give me the Eagles here. B-Dubs Express, the watchables, Andrew. Thursday night, Falcons at Panthers. Falcons, three points over under 44. Who do you like here? Oh, uh, I mean, look, I feel for the Falcons. I learned one thing in watching that game on Sunday. 
Which which force is more unstoppable, the Chargers charging or the Falcons falconing? And I think we learned our lesson on that one. Uh, poor Falcons fans, man, like just can't get a break. I still like them here. I know they're going to Carolina. I think they're still going to be able to win and cover. And also, I'm going to take the over on this. I think their offense is going to do a lot of things against the Panthers. Uh, I would love to get a similar game to what we got a couple weeks ago, which was insane. Also, I think this is probably going to be P.J. Walker's last start. I think they're going to move on and either put Darnold or Baker in there for whatever reason. But I think this will probably be Walker's last start as a, as a Panther. And at least I hope that he makes some plays, which I think he can against this team at home on Thursday night. Oh, okay. Okay. I like the Falcons here and the over. They were pretty damn close to covering last uh, Sunday. I don't know. This, I just think this Panthers team, I like P.J. Walker. I know he got benched. Baker Mayfield came in there, did a couple things, but uh, that's Baker Mayfield coming in with the other team not having planned for him. I, I just, yeah. I think this Falcons team actually has a chance to still win some games in that in that division there and maybe maybe win the division but you don't know i'll i'll take the falcons here andrew this was so close to being on the primetime block sunday seahawks at bucks bucks getting two and a half or favored by two and a half andrew bucks also uh or the over under 44 and a half who do you like here well, keep in mind, this is the first game in Germany. This is our big Germany game. Scheiza. Scheiza, yes. It's the big one going on on Sunday. Um, it's hard to say because this is the first time in Germany. Um, these teams aren't playing in London this time, obviously. I, I'm going to be really curious to see how these two, team, how these two teams travel. But you know what? I, I'm, I want to take the Seahawks, man. Like that bet last week, one of my bets of the week was taking the Seahawks straight up against the Cardinals because I could not believe the Cardinals were still favored at home. I know. That made I, no fucking sense. I, that was easy money to me. Oh, yeah. Opinion. That was super easy money. Um, I like the Seahawks here too, man. Like I think they've got a lot of things going for them. They have been firing on all cylinders. Their defense is playing better. Their offense has been very efficient. I, I think this Bucks team is still in trouble. They're still trying to figure themselves out, and I think they've just got a lot of things to work out. I know they won on Sunday, but again, that's kind of against another listless team like the Rams. I don't really take much from that. So I'm going to go ahead and say the over, and I'm going to actually take the Seahawks in this game straight up. Andrew, a total agreement. Love the Seahawks. I like the under here. I see the Seahawks scoring at least 30 points because that's what they've been averaging in the last three games here. And this defense, Andrew like you've talked about the last couple of weeks, we've both been, I think on the ball on this, the defense is getting better every week and they're fucking fast. And this Bucks team is a mess and they are not fast. They are, dare I say slow. Uh, I think this defense is going to be all over them. I, again, this is kind of what I said last week too, with the Cardinals It's like Vegas is daring you to do it. And why shouldn't you like, don't, don't, don't buy the Jedi mind tricks. Straight up, Seahawks straight up, they're going to beat them. And the Bucks are lucky to win against the Rams, by the way. I mean, Rams could have won that game, actually. The, yeah, the Bucks are in danger of missing the playoffs here. Don't, don't, get, don't, get too, uh, don't get confused by the spread here. Seahawks should be favored in this game, and they're not. Take the Seahawks. I can't, I can't wait to see the Germans get introduced 
<laughs> they're gonna think Gina Smith is a legend, dude. Yeah, they'll be like this guy. <laughs> Last one here for B Dubs Express: Chargers at 49ers. 49ers by seven, over under 45 and a half. Who do you like here? Well, as far as I'm concerned, the Chargers are already down 14 nothing in the first quarter. Because guess what they've been doing the last four weeks? They have been getting into double-digit deficits in the first quarter. Shockingly, they're 3-1 and one in those games. That's kind of the most, like, obscene thing about it. And we talked about it earlier because of Herbert just being a hulkish figure despite his injury and despite all the inefficiencies on offense. But this team has hung around, man. I don't know how, but they've hung around in these games. I don't think that's going to work on Sunday because the 49ers are front runners. They're going to run the ball down their throats. Look, whatever prop bet you can find online about rushing yards, if it's not at least 200 rushing yards in the 49ers' favor, you got to take that bet because they are going to run rough shot over this defense. This is a historically bad run defense. So the, run, the 49ers are going to do a lot. I'm actually going to take them to cover. Like I love Herbert and I love his ability to come back in these games, but I just don't trust them against this team. I think this is going to be embarrassing on Sunday. I straight up do. Wow. Wow. Well, maybe I should listen to you. I got the chargers covering here, but losing, I like the over. I just, you know, the 49ers, I, I hear what you're saying. There's no doubt about it. That run, that run is, uh, is really what, makes them such a dark horse team later in the year, but they're still pretty banged up on defense and in, in general, they're pretty banged up right now. I just think, and I know the chargers are too, don't get me wrong, but there's a huge quarterback mismatch here. And I just think Herbert is, I, I it's hard for me to see the 49ers cover seven right now. If you look at their record thus far, I just don't see it, especially against this charger team, which I know is flawed, but they have Herbert, so it's hard for me to say put your money on 49ers by seven. But sure, I don't. I still like the 49ers to win. No, no problem there. But Chargers, I think cover, uh, and I like the over here. I see a lot of points going back and forth. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, all right, Phil Sims, Bland Bananas. We got a lot of these. Uh, these moldy bananas are starting to mold. Andrew barely watchable. Sunday Bears at or Lions at Bears, excuse me, Bears two and a half over under 48 and a half. Who do you have here? I wish this was at Ford Field, man, because I would be taking this over like no one's business. But it's Jeff, <laughs> it's Jared Goff in, in cold weather. So, and outside. I, I don't like that for the Lions. I'm taking the Bears here, and I'm going to go ahead and also take the under. But you know what? Look, I think they're figuring some things out with Justin Fields. Like, I got to give Matt Eberflus a lot of credit. Like, this team is, in a lot of ways, really inefficient, and I think they're going to go through a lot of transition, especially on defense now that they've traded away Roquan, Roquan Smith. But this Bears team's kind of becoming a little frisky, and I think it's part of it on offense, so they're kind of finally starting to use Justin Fields' skill set. So yeah, I'll go ahead and take them here at home against the Lions, and like I said, also that under. Yeah, I'm in total agreement here. I, I think the Bears are starting to figure out, and this, this will be a discussion for another day, but this idea of the six-back offense, you know, like the the single-wing offense that Philly is using to obviously great effect right now, the Bears need to run an offense like that, and they're starting to. They're starting to run an offense like what Philly has the question is, you know, when you have to pass the ball, can Jalen Hurts, can, 
I'm losing the Justin Fields. Can they do that? That's yet to be seen. But against this Lions team, which is struggling to score, can't stop anybody. Yeah, I like this Bears team that they've proven they can put up some points. You know, even against Dallas, they put up some points. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the under here. Uh, I, I forget if you said the over or not. I like, I like yeah, yeah. I like the under here a lot. I, this forty-eight and a half. I, I don't understand. I think they're betting on uh, people who you know, you know, love the Lions for early on, are still thinking of for, you know week one here. I I, I don't see it, but uh, yeah, look, this Bears team is is you know they're developing, and that's positive. So kudos to the Bears there. Sunday Browns at Dolphins. Dolphins getting three and a half over under forty-nine. Who do you like here? Uh, uh, yeah, this this uh, definitely does reek of a multi banana. I'm gonna go <laughs> ahead. And, uh, I'm gonna take the Dolphins here because I think the Browns just can't really function in, as far as the passing offense, and I think the the Dolphins are gonna force their hand into forcing Jacoby Brissett to do things. Now, is the Dolphins defense that good? No, but I don't think that the Browns are really gonna be able to do much on on offense. And as far as the Dolphins go, I. I don't know. I could see Tua having some problems with the defensive line of the Browns. I feel like Miles Garrett can get after him. I think they can do some things against them. I'm actually going to take the under here, like the slide under. I think that's a lot of points for these two teams. But uh, I do think the Dolphins are comfortably in control of this game because I, I don't trust the Browns. Dolphins are they're a weird team, but look, they have a they have an offense that fucking works. Okay, and Tyree yeah. Kill, at least for this year. That, that Chiefs trade looks like it's a pretty fair deal because he there's no doubt he's the number one receiver in the NFL. This guy, I mean, he will burn you. <laughs> he doesn't yeah. seem coverable, and you can run an offense around this guy, and he can do all sorts of jet sweeps and deep routes, and this guy can do it all. Uh, and, and look, say what you will about the first-year head coach. He does some dumb things once in a while, but he does his system certainly works and he gets yeah. everything out of it and he's making Tua look real good in the process too. I like the Dolphins to cover here. That's because this Browns team can't cover. Uh, they can score some points in the running game and this Dolphins defense is right now a work in progress. I know they traded for Chubb, uh, but this defense needs some help. Uh, so I see a lot of points being scored. I'll take the over here, but I like the Dolphins as well. I just, well, you know, that, that's the funniest thing as far as the Tyreek Hill thing goes. I find it so funny that Tyreek Hill, is, who's having a, like, historically good year, like, he's on pace to have over 2,000 receiving yards. That's how absurd it is for him. He going to get those yards. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, Patrick Mahomes is on pace to set the passing yards record. Now, I know it's a 17-game season, so obviously they get an extra game to do this. But the fact that those two guys are doing this separately from each other mm. is, like, the, the weirdest thing to me. But I think that just tells me, like, look, Hill was never the guy that led in receiving on that team. It was always Kelsey. Kelsey was always the guy that led in receiving. I think Hill, as a, a massive weapon in that system, I think was used still sparingly at times because they couldn't always throw downfield to him. And they were able to do more things, you know, underneath. And they've done that in spades this year with the Chiefs. But with Hill, I mean, he is just always open in this Dolphins offense. Whatever Mike McDaniels is doing, he is just constantly breaking coverage all the time and getting the ball in his hands. Look, McDaniels is a first-year head coach, but I have to say so far, considering 
the whole season. It's a success so far. Yeah. This oh, like yeah. he certainly does some make some bad decisions, you know, game management decisions, things like that. But his his offense is working very well right away. And I and he's doing it very well with a quarterback that you and I I think still are not really sold on, you know? And I think the system is is elevating Tua to the best he can be right now and is making the best of him and leveraging his skills as they are now. So look, give him credit for that. That offense, I mean, he he gets everything out of Tyreek Hill as he can. He leverages, I think, what they have, uh, each of their players, what they do well. So you have to give him credit for that. It's a good foundational start, and they have, you know, a good chance of making the playoffs here. Uh, let's move on to another bland banana. Broncos at Titans, Andrew. This might be maybe one of the most unwatchable games, except for the ex- for the fact that you have a, a Broncos team that's just fun to see what the drama is going to be and a Titans team that's clearly going to win the AFC South. Titans by three over under 39. Who do you have here? Oh, God. Um, can the Titans get a, a, a first down in the second half this time? I would really <laughs> like that. Um, look, I, this is, man, I this is going to be really tough to watch on offense. I, I have to slam the under here, but the Titans are going to be in control of this game because, look, it's, my God, Rabel versus Hackett. Like, <laughs> this it's another Grand Canyon size coaching mismatch. Like this is, yeah, this is one of those kind of games. I think this is going to be absolutely abominable to watch, but I do think the Titans are going to be in control of this game. I don't care if Tannehill or will, or will has start under center. It doesn't really matter. It does so, not yeah. fucking matter. It doesn't matter. Titans are going to take this game and take the under my God, but don't dad, this, this is definitely going to be the least watched or at least least shown game on red zone on Sunday. You can guarantee that. Dude, you could parlay Titans cover the under and the money line in a parlay, and I would take it if it's just all Titans. I agree. I mean, again, I, I apologize to Mike Rabel for ever doubting him earlier in the season. I pray at the altar. Like, this guy is clearly <laughs> him and Pete Carroll, are probably the best two coaches this season. Probably, I would say. Yeah. Uh, just based on, you know, their situations and the expectations that they had coming in. I mean, these guys, you know, when, when I see the poster for the game, you know, it's going to be Russell Wilson on the left, Mike Rabel on the right. That's the matchup, right? <laughs> like that's the, po- that's the poster. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I love the Titans. I don't, yeah, it's a mismatch coaching wise. And I love, I, I love the game plan against the Chiefs. I know they lost. And again, this is about, if they could just get Mahomes in the ground a couple of times when it mattered, that game would have been over and the Titans would have won, right? Kind of like the Jets. They were able to get Allen on the ground. The Titans just yeah. weren't, right? But what I also love yeah. is they didn't give two fucks that Malik Willis was in the game. They were just going to run Derrick Henry as much as possible. They didn't give two fucks. You know what's <laughs> infuriating about Mahomes? Like, it, it, it's, yeah. it's like so many, every single team has one thing that they can't get him to do or can't stop him from doing. Like one team will run like cover two and Kelsey will have like 15 catches. Another team will like let him throw down field. Another team will blitz him for whatever God knows reason, like the Cardinals did this year, which was a terrible mistake. 
the Vikings or the the Titans. I don't know why, but every time they play him, they can't stop him from running. Like they just this happened to them in the AFC Championship game a few years ago, where it's like the one thing they could not stop him from doing was running away. Yeah, and they can't get him like, on the ground. No, they can't. Like the Bengals got him on the ground in the AFC Championship game. They had trouble with other guys, but they could get him on the ground and they contained him. But there's always one element of him that every team struggles with. My team always like will give up some just stupid pass where he's like running to the sideline and then Derwin James has to be like, do I chase after him or do I go back in coverage? And you can't, and you're like stuck in between. And then he makes some stupid throw back in the middle of the field. Like there's always yeah. something. And the Titans for the Titans, it's his legs. Yeah. Yeah. That's they, that's what makes him really special. Yeah. All right. Last bland banana. And we'll, we'll try to get these last few wrapped up quickly. Cowboys at Packers. Cowboys only by five, Andrew, over under 43. Who do you like here? Oh, man. Um, look, I hope whatever Green Bay resident is, like, selling their seat to this game, hopefully they're getting a lot of money out of it because I personally would not pay my hard-earned money to watch the Packers right now. And I think this is – like, I, I love the Fox promos saying uh, – talking about how this is going to be, like, a renewed rivalry. Um First of all, when, second of all, like if this is your promotion to try and get us to watch this game, it's not going to work. Like, I think this is, it's really a shame because I was hoping this would be somewhat of a matchup at the beginning of the season. But look, man, this Dallas team is doing everything right on every side of the ball. Meanwhile, the Packers are not doing anything right on any, any facet whatsoever. Look, this is, (laughs) I guess this is the Mike McCarthy revenge game. Uh, like straight up, uh, this is going to be really bad. I think the Cowboys are absolutely going to kick the pa- Packers' ass on Sunday. And uh, look, if this spread was ten, I would still take it. So yeah, I'm taking the Cowboys, and I'm actually going to take. I will say the over because 43 is a little low, but this is that man. This is not going to be fun for Packer fans. Yeah, I love this line. Packers, they have no chance. Cowboys only by five. That is way too low. I love the Cowboys here. I love the over as well. And real quick here, Andrew, they're going to lose their, with this loss against the Cowboys, their sixth straight loss. Okay. They're going to be three and seven. I'm going to read you off the next parts of their schedule here. Okay. And you find me all the wins that they're going to get. Titans, Eagles, Bears, Rams, Dolphins, Vikings, Lions. Find me enough wins to get to 500. Hmm. I think back on October 23rd before we podcasted, I texted you had a hot take. Packers to miss the playoffs and have a losing record. I said seven and ten. Yeah, you did. I I don't know how. I honestly don't know how they get to seven. They're going to lose to the Cowboys. They're going to lose to the Titans. They're going to lose to the Eagles. So that gets us to three and nine. Okay. So that means they got to find four wins against the Bears, Rams, Dolphins, Vikings, and Lions. Their ass is losing to the Dolphins and the, and the Vikings for sure. That's 11 losses right there. I don't know how, I, I don't know how they, they're, they're done. I mean, especially when, if they're going to lose three more games in a row, they're done. I don't know. I think you underestimate the power of Kirk and Lambeau, but we'll see. I'm not going to rule that one out just yet, but I see what you're saying though. It is tough. And man, yeah. 
things just went south. You were you were dead on about that. I thought you were crazy when you said that. I was like, no way. Seven and ten. It, like I I thought you were out of your gourd. But even I'll say this. Even some of my Packer fans were like, I don't know, man. I'm not feeling good about this. This was when they were three and one. Like it, it the writing seemed to be on the wall, at least for some people. Well, this was only this was only about at a little over two weeks ago. So this was back when they this was back when they lost to the Jets, I wanna say. Oh yeah. But but still, but still, like I don't know what you see. There's nothing different now than there was then, except it's just gotten worse. Yeah. So yeah, not not a great not a great season for the Packers. All right, bridge to nowhere, Andrew. Sunday, Texans at Giants. Giants getting six and a half points. Uh, favorite here, six and a half over the Texans, over under 40 and a half. Who do you like here? Oh, those fris- frisky Texans. Um, <laughs> I, I, look, I got to say they covered because they covered against the Eagles. Look, they play well in first half, so they just don't do anything in the second half, which is probably by design. I think we've talked about this a million times. Like yeah. their, their goal is to lose as many games as possible, but to look competitive. Right. So, Right. Uh, yeah, of course they're going to cover. But, like, the yeah. Giants are, are a better coach team, better roster, better overall you know, game planning strategy. They're, they want to win. They come out of the – they're coming off a bye week. This Giants team is steamrolling them towards a very important Thanksgiving game, which I'll get to later on against the Cowboys. And uh, they, they definitely want to try and continue piling wins, which I think they do here. Um, I – you know what? I'm going to take this slight over here. 40 and a half. I know these two teams aren't great offensively, but I could, for some reason, see it being like 41 or 42. Like, I see some backdoor cover coming here. But I would also say it's a stay away, in my opinion. Yeah, probably stay away. But definitely, I like the Texans to cover here. Um, I still like the Giants to win. Uh, and I like the under here, too. I just I just don't see how both of these guys add up for 40 points. So, yeah, Texans for sure to cover. All right. Sunday, Saints at Steelers. Saints getting two and a half over under 40. Who do you like here? Maybe we should just let Taysom Hill play quarterback. Maybe we should go back to that experiment. Uh, look, I Saints team is so weird. Like, it was really weird watching him against the Ravens and thinking, like, you guys have better skill position players than the Ravens team, and they're doing way more with it than what you guys are doing. I don't understand. Um, like, I don't know. They're, ident- they, they're very identityless right now and and so are the Steelers in a way but the Steelers at least know they're going through growing pains um uh, I I man I don't feel good picking this game I'm actually going to go ahead and take the Steelers at home I think they're going to do enough to win I don't like I don't like their offense but I think they'll be okay coming off a bye week I'm going to take the under here because I don't think both teams can score but I'm actually going to take the Steelers in this game Ah, I'm going the opposite way. I think the Saints cover here, and I like the over. Uh, I just think this is a weird team to prepare for. Uh, I, you know, I, you don't know who you're going to see at quarterback. You, no. you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Taysom Hill gets to start all of a sudden. I, I don't know what I'm going to get from the Saints team, and I think that that's not great for the Steelers right now. Who the Steelers have always been a very stable team you know you're going to get every week and they just aren't right now and they're facing a wild card of a team i i just think it's a very weird matchup for them so give me the saints in the over but i would rather bet on that texans game than i would this one this is probably the game 
I would least want to bet on this weekend because I have no idea. Well, I among the top few that I would not want to bet on this weekend. I'll put it that way. Yeah. I'm really curious to see how the Steelers roster turns over. I think there's going to be a lot of guys leaving. Yeah, this, definitely. This, this offseason. I think we're going to see a lot of that. Yeah, big turnover offseason. All right, let's wrap this up with Montezuma special, and we sure got some uh, shitty platters for you. Shitty platters for you this weekend. Uh, Jags at Chiefs. Chiefs get nine and a half, uh, or favored by nine and a half, over under 50 and a half. Who do you like here? Okay, I'm actually going to make my case here. I actually would put this Jaguars-Chiefs game in the banana pile. Ah, okay. I actually would. I Look, I know the Jags have had a lot of inconsistencies, and they've been kind of frustrating, but I still like their offense. I yeah, really me do. too. I, I do I, too. I still like it a lot. I like them going into Kansas City. I like them covering. I know this wow. is a death trap, but I actually really like them to cover this game. I know they're they're – they're very frustrating to watch, but I really love Trevor Lawrence. I love what they do on offense. I think they're actually going to be able to cover. I don't like the Chiefs trying to cover at home. The Chiefs will win, but I look. I think the Jaguars could do a lot of things, and I think they'll hang around. I'm going to take the over too. I think I think this is going to be a fun game. I really do. I I think this is an underrated game, in my opinion. It could be fun. I do see it going over, uh, just because. I think that Chiefs defense gives out a lot of points. Here's the key for the Jags to even be in this. They got to hit that run game, which they can. They can, yeah. I think they could hit that run game and and really hit the Chiefs over the head. And here's the different thing. They're more multidimensional, I feel like, in the run game than the Titans are. The Titans just happen to have, you know, Derrick Henry, right? But the, the I feel like the Jags are really interesting in the run game. They hit you in different ways with different guys. And it was weird in the Chiefs game because, like, in the first half, they were just – they weren't bringing nine guys down the box, which I don't understand. Like, that's how it would start the fucking game. But in the second half, they did, and they kind of they kind of nullified Henry to the most part. That, you know, that might not really work as well here. But, look, this Jaguars defense, I, they, they, have, they have – you know, they drafted uh, a stud in the first round. I get it. I, I don't see this Jags defense being able to to pull away with, with the Chiefs offense. This Chiefs offense is a Super Bowl winning offense. I think they're they've figured out their new pieces. Uh Juju Smith Schuster, say what you will about him. He had a great game against the Titans and he, he's starting to really grasp his role and starting to run with it now. And when Kelsey, you know, isn't open or is covered, that's the guy that Mahomes can go to comfortably now and they're starting you know Mahomes I I didn't even really know that that was true what you were saying earlier in the pod that he is he's going for that record now but you know since Hill left he's more multi-dimensional now he hits more guys in the passing game it almost not that it doesn't matter who his targets are it does matter but he can hit more guys now it seems like so I just think this offense is too multifaceted for a young a young Jags defense. I I'll go ahead and take the Chiefs to cover here. Yeah, don't don't talk to me about a, my guy trying to hit guys who don't matter in the passing game because I can tell you it doesn't. There's a there's a there's a there's a stopping point. Right there <laughs> there certainly is there certainly is. But yeah no yeah. and I also love getting Michael Harmon involved more too. He's been also starting to finally figure out his role as well, which is cool. Yeah. 
Well, I'd love to see you make a case for this one if you have one. Sunday, Colts at Raiders. <laughs> I, Raiders know. six and a half, over under 42 and a half. Look, it's hard to trust the Raiders right now, but we've been on the we've been on the mantra, I think, for weeks upon weeks upon weeks, not just for three weeks. I want to say for six weeks. Bet against the Colts. So that's what we'll do here. Raiders, and I'll I'll take the over here. I just think I just think the Raiders are going to lay it on them. And even if the even if the Colts put up a couple points here, I, I just yeah I I'll still take the over here. But yeah, the Raiders for sure by I think more than a touchdown. Um, I think it's going to be similar to that twenty-seven six score. Score. So I'm going to take the under. But yeah, there's no reason to believe in the Colts. Like absolutely not. This this is this is just going to be a hard a hard experiment to watch. I think there's going to be a lot of despondency on the Colts sideline. And I just, I don't see any energy coming from them. So I will take the Raiders in this game as well. As, and I, <laughs> I, I, yeah, like I said, this is another one of those games that I'd like, I don't think it's going to pop up on red zone too often, unless it's a Raiders touchdown. Yeah. Certainly the crown jewel of Montezuma special this weekend. Last but not least, a, a game that three months ago would have looked like a Chris Berman primetime special now in the special here. Sunday cards at Rams. Rams by three over under 43 and a half. Andrew, I'm just going to go ahead and say it right here. This is this is uh, very sad to see this game go from potentially Chris Berman status to uh, the Chinese buffet. But Cardinals, I think, are going to cover this game. And I think under 43 and a half, these are both poorly coached teams, but even the Cardinals are more talented than this Rams team, which is crazy to say based off of, you know, last year. But uh, give me the Cardinals in the under. And I, this is definitely in that tier of I, I don't want to put any money on this kind of this kind of prospect. Yeah, this is a Chinese buffet in some back alley of some restaurant in a small town in Norway like this is this is really not not appetizing at all but I'll say this listen uh I have to read my uh Bermuda Triangle coaching tea leaves from the NFC West and uh look (laughs) I can't I can't go against McVay versus Cliff Kingsbury because it has worked every single time he kicks his ass I don't care what happens I know this Rams seems not good I know they don't have really a lot going for them on offense I don't trust this Cardinals team and I don't trust Cliff Kingsbury versus McVay. I have to go with the Rams in this game. Sorry. I understand. I can't. I can't. Like, I don't know what it is. It's some voodoo magic, but every single year it's the same thing. It's like Shanahan's going to be, beat McVay. McVay is going to beat Clay, Kingsbury. And Kingsbury is going to once in a while take some game off the 49ers. I don't know why, but that always happens. But it's like this Bermuda Triangle of like coaching matchups that happens every single year. I understand. Andrew, it's a little late over here for me, but I think we're wrapped up with the lines. As always, thanks, buddy. Yeah, thank you, man.